This morning, our, our speaker is uh, Pastor David Kitani. Um, we're blessed to have David and uh, speak to us and bring God's word to us this morning. Uh, David is currently the associate pastor at New Life Community Church in Lincoln Heights, which is in the East L.A. area, where he's been serving since 2011 with his wife, G, and their, their two boys. Um, as many of you know, David grew up in this church. In fact, David is Gail's brother, and uh, I'm sure you'll see some resemblance. Um, and we're blessed to have David share the word with us this morning. And uh, our church maintains relationship with uh, David and G and the Kitanis through our missions ministry, um, helping support some of the work they do there in Lincoln Heights. So um, this morning, David will be preaching from Acts chapter 6. Come on up, Dave. Good morning. Um, I just I just want to thank you all uh, because uh, the mission board in this church supports uh, me and my family and the work that we do uh, in Lincoln Heights, Lincoln Heights in the East Side area, uh, kind of. Uh, probably some of the poorest uh, neighborhoods uh, in L.A., in L.A. County. Uh, so uh, thank you for partnering us in this work. And specifically, uh, we have a D school, a discipleship school, and uh, with West Covina Church's support, uh, they helped to make uh, our mission trip possible. So we went to the Dominican Republic. So your prayers, your support is supporting work in the Dominican Republic. Uh, and that's our discipleship school team with children, with our children, as well as uh, some of uh, our brothers and sisters in the Dominican uh, Republic, some Haitians uh, in our group as well. So it's just really awesome. So thank you for uh, supporting that work. All right. So I know I don't deserve the love and care of God, but he gives it to me anyway. In one way, I know he really graciously loves me is how many times he has spared me from major accidents and death uh, because of my terrible driving. I'm sorry, I'm fulfilling that Asian stereotype. Uh, for anyone who drives, there's something very important that you have to know when you're driving. You have to be aware of something called blind spots, right? So you see, we can only see so much here, right? So what we have to do is we have to fully look over our shoulder. My wife always reminds me, fully look over my shoulder. Uh, so you won't miss, uh, as you turn into a lane, cars that might hit you at fast speeds, right? So that is the blind spot, which you cannot see in the mirrors, which you cannot see, right? So you have to actually intentionally look there, right? So, you know, why, why am I telling you all this? We all have blind spots right? I'm not just talking about in cars, right? In our lives. And even, yes, even in the church, there's some blind spots, right? So we have to look at them, right? Or there can be some serious consequences if we ignore them, right? This morning, we're going to look in the Bible where the early church discovered some major blind spots, right? That still affect the church today and what we could learn from them. So, uh, you all, I hear, have been going through the book of Acts. It's an awesome book. It's a book about revival. 
right? So ever since the revival at this Feast of Pentecost, uh, this Jewish feast in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit comes down and miraculous stuff starts happening, right? So Jewish people from all over outside of Palestine, right? That's where Jesus ministered. Jews from the diaspora from outside of Palestine came in, and not only did they come in and receive Christ, they're like, we're going to stay here. So the church grew very rapidly, right? Uh, And these 12 disciples that were so timid became these, filled with the Spirit, became powerful witnesses, like fearless, right? Even the authorities tried to shut them down, but they couldn't shut them down because it's this work that God was doing. Uh, But there were still some blind spots in the church uh, in such a way that the writer of Acts felt, hey, we need to take a time out and let us in on what was happening, all right? So the passage this morning is Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. I'll be reading from the ESV. So uh, this might be a little bit different, but if I could ask you to stand if you're able, right, to honor the reading of God's Word. Starting from verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number... A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Verse 2, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, the twelve, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of even the priests became obedient to the faith. Lord God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that your word, uh, you know, it's, it, it encourages us, but sometimes it points out to us things that are uncomfortable. But, Father God, thank you that you love us enough to work with us, Lord God. You're patient with us. So, Father, wherever we are this morning, Father God, I pray that just any worries, any, any sort of things that are keeping us from being fully present to you, we just give those things to you. You already know them. We give them to you. We surrender them to you. And we pray, Father God, that you uh, will take care of those things. Now help us, Lord, to not only hear your word, but really take it in and put it into practice, into our lives. We need you, Lord God. We know the problem is not your word. We know the problem is often our hearts that are like stone. I pray that you would give us a heart of flesh to really take in your word, Lord God. uh, Love it and live it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you. Y'all may be seated. All right. So a core question I want to ask is, what do we learn from this passage are some potential blind spots in the church. All right, so I'm going to be going over three. And you could follow along uh, in the bulletins and write in uh, as we go. So the first one, 
the first blind spot in the church is overlooking the marginalized or serving the marginalized. We, we fail to do that. So the church of Jesus was growing, like I mentioned before, meaning there's all sorts of different groups of people starting to come together, right? And so even in this exciting, growing, new community of Jesus, the brokenness of human prejudice and discrimination, it crept in. We find in verse 1 that a group called the Hellenists were being neglected in the church. You might be like, what What are Hellenists? Who are what are Hellenists? All right, Hellenists... They were actually Jewish immigrants that were not born or native to Palestine, which was a land that was predominantly Jewish. The word Hellenist, it literally means somebody who speaks Greek. So these Hellenists were Jews that had come from outside of Palestine, uh, immigrants who predominantly spoke another language, spoke Greek, and were more used to living in a Greek culture, not like the Jews in Palestine who spoke Aramaic, Jesus spoke Aramaic, uh, and we're used to being around Jews. So Hellenists were people what we would call kind of bicultural people, right? They're ethnically Jewish, but culturally they were more Greek. And so they looked, so the original kind of Jewish early church, they started to look down on these Hellenists. They weren't being Jewish enough. You know, they weren't legit, right? So it was not just an accusation of discrimination that was happening in the church. It was actually neglect, right, Uh, of a whole group of people in the church. Now, where do we see this? In verse 1, we see the complaint. It turned out the Hellenist widows were being neglected, not allegedly being neglected. They weren't getting food like the rest of the Palestinian Jewish widows were getting. Uh, The Jewish... Widows were, uh, the widows in this culture uh, were completely vulnerable. Uh, they had no one to care for them. So where do we see in this passage? Uh, we don't see anywhere in this passage later on that that accusation was denied. So that was actually happening. Uh, and it was affecting real people. So the word for neglect here uh, that you see is the word paratheoreo. Right, So para means beside, and theoreo, it means look at, which literally means these people were looked at as on the side. Or as the young people say it, they were given the side eye. Right, So they were seen literally, but they were not seen as important. They're seen as less than in the church community. Um, okay, Dave, that was, that's, that's pretty intense. That was back in the day, right? I mean, what does that have to do with us? You know, we're 2018. This doesn't happen anymore, right? Unfortunately, you all know this isn't the case. Uh, it is said that Sunday, out of all the days of the week, is the most divided in America, right? <laughs> because the churches, our churches are still split too much by race, culture, just with people we're comfortable with. Right? And it's, it's such an irony because even as we were singing, I can only imagine, you know, in the kingdom of heaven, every tribe, every tongue, right, every people group will be there worshiping together. They will, there will not be separate groups, right? Like Jesus will come by to, you know, the Japanese church and then come by to the Armenian church. It's everyone's going to be all worshiping together. So, hey, man, we're going to have to get used to that, Right? Because um, heaven is fully integrated, so we've got to get used to that, right? 
So we still have this blind spot today, don't we? We still have difficulty loving our neighbor as ourselves, especially if those neighbors we feel are not like us or of a different culture than us. Okay, I know this is an uncomfortable passage, all right? Uh, this just so happened to be where West Covina Church was at in their study of the book of Acts, right? Uh, when I was asked to speak, I promise I didn't choose this passage, okay? But God put it in our Bibles, right? God put it in our Bibles. Why? Because our blind spots, it's an uncomfortable topic. But he, want, he loves us too much to just let us not see those things, right? But I have to tell the truth, right? If we can't talk about these sort of things in the church, where can we, right? We Christians of all people should not be afraid of the truth. It may hurt, but we should not be afraid of the truth because Jesus even said, the one we follow, he said, if you hold to my truth, right, you will, it will set you free, right? Those who hold to my truth, the truth will set you free. So we know God's intense good for us in showing us this stuff. So even West Covina Church, right, is part of a historically, I don't know if you guys knew this, Japanese-American holiness conference of churches, right? Um, churches, these are churches that were planted by Japanese immigrants in the United States. Um, and so this, this church was even, was, had an experience just like the Hellenists. Right? that were experienced in Acts. Many of you, especially uh, the older folks in this room, you've lived through blatant discrimination, right? Or maybe your parents. Uh, for the ethnically Japanese, there's these terms called Iseis, Niseis, Sanseis. That's first-generation Japanese, second, third, right? Uh, ethnically Japanese, but who live in the United States, never fully accepted as American or as Japanese, right? I thought I was like... Japanese until I went to Japan, and they're like, you're not Japanese, you're American. I was like, oh, man, nowhere, <laughs> you know? Uh, and as you know, uh, some, of, some folks like Shiori uh, lived through prison camps just for being ethnically Japanese, right? Constantly seen as foreigners. Okay, so just so you know, this is not only a Japanese-American thing. This happens all throughout America, this country that we live in, right? It's a country of immigrants, right? Uh, the sociologist Ezra Park called the ex experience of being part of two cultures as this uh, marginal man experience. This marginal man experience. What is that? It's to not feel accepted because you're not purely of the dominant culture, right? Because you live on the margins, right? Because you're caught in between two cultures, right? Uh, on one side, uh, the dominant culture, and on the other side, ethnically or through your experience, uh, what has been. So you feel kind of torn, right? You never feel like you fully fit in. Does this sound familiar to any of us as Americans, right? The Chinese, they have, you know, the Chinese have a word for it. They call, they call them ABCs, American-born Chinese, right? The Irish, yes. Even white people have a word for it. They may call it FBI, you know, foreign-born Irish. You know, Irish used to be really discriminated against uh, here in the United States. Uh, Mexicans may uh, call it being a pocho, right? So it's kind of a derogatory word for someone who just lost, like, you know, their Mexican language and culture, right? Uh, but you know what? As I look out, I'm so encouraged, though, here uh, at West Covina Church 
every time I come back, uh, this church that I grew up in that was mostly Japanese American when, when I was uh, a kid, to see how now I see a lot more color. I see a lot more color in this room. And I, I think that's all awesome. I think that's more like heaven, right? More races, cultures, backgrounds in the same church. But let's be real, right? Just because we're in the same room, it doesn't mean we always treat each other like we should. It doesn't mean we always treat each other equally, right? Let's be honest. So we got to be so watchful. We got to be so watchful not to neglect each other, especially those in the church that are not like us, right? Especially not to neglect those who are not in positions of power, right? Or a part of the dominant culture of this church, whatever that would be, right? It's our pride and it's our human brokenness to put down those that are different from us. Right? That's a very human thing to do. It was in the early church, and we have to be honest, it's in the church now. We must look long and hard at these blind spots. Things, it's, they're things that we don't easily see, uh, and it might take more effort, right? But we do that, and we do what's right. And those of us who have ever experienced being overlooked or marginalized, if that's been part of your experience, uh, don't become bitter through that. Use that to see others. Be a voice for others. All right? Okay, so that's the first one. Another blind spot in the church we see is our failure in serving spiritual and physical needs. All right? In this passage, we see the 12 disciples, the apostles, were becoming overwhelmed by the work, right, of the early church, and people were being neglected. And they felt, hey, we shouldn't give up preaching the word, right? But they also knew, wait, we can't ignore the physical needs of these widows in the community who need to eat and has no one else to care for them. They took that responsibility as a church, right? So the issue that... uh, these disciples were struggling with was how do we make sure to take care of spiritual and physical needs, right? Now, from an initial reading of this passage, even you see it in some other translations even, it may seem that the ministry of serving tables is seen as kind of inferior to the ministry of the word, right? But if you look at the Greek words used, diakonia, where we get the word deacon, uh, kind of a position in the church, uh, it's used in verse 1 and translated as distribution, like when they're distributing the food, right? And then in verse 4, that same word is translated as ministry of the word. Okay, why do I point that out? It's the exact same word. Do you guys see that? Exact same word is used for both the ministry of meeting spiritual needs as well as physical needs. Right? It's our translations that kind of start to make a distinction. So physical needs, meeting those, that's legitimate ministry. That's spiritual work, right? So that's why in the modern-day church we see, this, uh, we see something called elders. That would be what the 12 disciples were. They kind of look at the vision of the church and the direction of the church, right? Uh, but there's also deacons. Right? And that's taken from the word diaconia, right? service, who are to take care of the physical needs of the church people. So you see both. So, okay, how does that relate to us? In today's church, uh, in America especially, there seems to be a tendency to dismiss the ministry of 
meeting physical needs as less spiritual, right? That's why I'm on the stage. Isn't that interesting, right? Because I'm giving the word. Uh, but it was so awesome to see uh, my sister. We also did not plan this. She's being on, uh, honored for serving the youth. That's so great. We should, right? Now, we have to remember that taking care of those in need, that's something uh, dear to the heart of God. Right? It's not just some side thing, not extracurricular, right? It's a key sign of our relationship with Jesus. What, where do I see this? The Old Testament, if you read through it, right, the stories as well as the commands, as well as even the prophets and the wisdom literature, you'll see, right, that God uh, lifts up and has a protected status for certain groups of people, the orphan, the widow, the fatherless, the foreigner, and the poor. You'll see these categories come up countless times throughout the Old Testament because God knows our tendency to overlook them, so he lifts them up and he says, protect them, care for them. Okay, okay, Dave. Okay, just just one example from Jeremiah 22. This is like what a good king should be. And this is God speaking to the prophet uh, Jeremiah uh, in chapter 22, verse 16. God states, he, being that king, defended the cause of the poor and needy. And so all went well. Is not that what it means to know me, declares the Lord. Crazy, huh? If we say we know God, if we do not take care of the poor and needy, he says, you don't know me. To care for the poor and needy, that's like, you know me. You know my heart. So you see, this is God's heart, right? Was that just the Old Testament thing? Well, we see it carried through the teachings of Jesus, Right? Uh, all throughout, but in Matthew 25, we see where so closely it says God kind of, Jesus tells this kind of story about like where we're going to end up, heaven or hell, right? Um, so closely does God associate with those in need. Uh, he says how we treat the least of these, whoever's least kind of in our society, how we treat the least of these is how we treat him, Right? Uh, and it's even a sign of our salvation. That's why he separates the sheep from the goats, right? I mean, we're not saved by doing those things, but if we really are, it should show up, right, in our lives. So this is why the early church, did you, I don't know if you caught this, was about taking care of the needs of the widow in verse 1 daily. That's crazy, right? Uh, it was such an important issue to care for the needy in the early church that the 12 felt it was necessary to call, as we see in verse 2, the full number of the disciples. And Luke used his disciples and believers together. So basically, he called a whole church meeting of the whole church, right, together to discuss it. Like, this was going to be a democratic issue. It wasn't going to be made by just some folks that are not connected, right? They called all the believers together to address this need. So you know it's important. We also see that the ministry of meeting physical needs was taken seriously because, did you check out those qualifications, right, to lead such a ministry? They're so high. Anyone who was to lead in the work of meeting these physical needs, like feeding and distributing food, right, which we might not see as a big deal. In verse 3, it says they have to be of good repute, good reputation. They got to be full of the spirit and of wisdom, Right? They needed to show moral, spiritual, and practical quality, right? It couldn't just be anybody. 
Uh, serving the physical needs of people was seen. You see the disciples, the apostles see it as spiritual work. One commentary states that, like those qualified for prayer and preaching, and there needs to be some qualifications for that, um, the table servers, their ability is the result of spiritual power. Nothing less than the power of the Spirit makes possible meaningful, community-building, peacemaking work among Christians. Right? So yes, we must not neglect the ministry of the Word. Right? But we also can't neglect caring for those in need. In 1 John 3.17, uh, the Apostle John says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother or sister in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Right? Like how, how can you say God's love lives in you when you see these needs and you close your heart? That's like, that's against my heart, right? As God was saying, right? So if we really believe and live in God's word, it should affect the physical world around us, right? If we say we know God's love, we must show God's love. The church should be about the ministry of serving God's word and serving those in need, meeting spiritual and physical needs, right? So I'm going to speak to two groups of people right now. For those of us who love God's word, you love good teaching. You like download messages and stuff, right? Uh, Please know that that's so good. That helps the church remember what's really important. But I got to speak to us. We also must keep in mind that without serving those in need, it's so easy for us to become hypocrites, right, and lose touch with God's heart. So we need to be about serving, right, those physical needs as well. Now, I'm going to speak to another group, especially for hardworking Asians in here, right, for those of us who care for people in need, right, that's what you do, right, please know that God sees that as legitimate spiritual work, right? But we also have to keep in mind, right, if we're just about serving the physical needs, but we lose his word, we could get lost and we could get burnt out. It's happened just too much, right? The last blind spot we see in this passage that can happen in the church is not representing all of the body in leadership, right? Not representing all of the body in leadership. What do I mean by that? Uh, let's see. It's important for us to understand who the early church actually appointed for this work, right? Who they appointed. And you'll see where this kind of plays out. In verse 5, it gives us a list of seven people, right? And all these hard-to-pronounce names, right? Who were these seven? All seven men might not be evident uh, to us, but back then they would have seen this clearly. All seven men, they had Greek names, right? Which likely indicates that they were Hellenists, right? Included into leadership now, right? Uh, These are bicultural Jews that were immigrants or children of immigrants. It makes sense that 
if the seven were going to be chosen from all the believers, right, that were gathered together, for at least a specific task of, like, dealing with and working with Greek-speaking widows, they should probably choose people who speak Greek fluently, right? Right? So that's also uh, something that shows that they're probably Hellenists. It's also more likely that they, uh, these seven were Hellenists because of the fact that they, you know, they needed to choose seven. Uh, and that'll give you a sense of, like, that means there was a whole bunch of Hellenists and Hellenistic widows in the church, right? They had to choose seven people to do this work, right? Okay, these seven were Hellenists. So what, Dave? What does that have to do with me? This is huge for so many reasons, right? Because of this representation that the church was willing to do, the church unlocked the power God wanted to release through a group of people that had been totally untapped and overlooked, uh, you're going to be reading, right? It's kind of like a little trailer. This Stephen, right? Some of you guys even have this name, right? Stephen, who becomes the, f- he is actually, uh, he becomes the first one to die for his faith in Jesus. It's not even the followers of Jesus himself, the 12 apostles who did that. It was Stephen who laid down his life for Jesus first, right? It tells you what kind of faith he had, Right? Um, Philip, who's also listed, he's the first disciple to actually take the gospel to non-Jews. He goes to this place called Samaria, right, that were kind of like mixed-breed folks, right, in the Jewish mind. So we see that um, right here that it took people who lived on the outside to reach those on the outside, right? So this is huge. Second, when we make sure our church leaders represent all the community, they bring a perspective that we're missing, right? They bring a perspective that we're missing, right? And the whole church could benefit. Uh, the theologian Justo Gonzalez, he calls this the mestizaje perspective. It's a perspective of those who come from a mezcla or a mix of cultures, Right? And he says that these people from these multiple cultures, they're able to see things that uh, like single culture people or dominant culture people just can't see. Right? Um, like, Shugo was just talking about, like, you know, he doesn't see everything because, you know, he's a dude. You know, I'm a dude, but, like, my sister's a woman, and there's certain things that she sees that, like, you know, we as dudes, we just miss. You know, all, all the wives, you understand that. Uh, <laughs> uh, the hellness. These Hellenists were able to see a critical gap in the church that the Palestinian Jews, they, they couldn't see. Now, this, and I'm going to nerd out right now. It's interesting to consider Luke. He's the person who wrote this gospel uh, and the book of Acts. You know what? Uh, scholars believe that he was actually not a Jew. He was a Gentile, right? Uh, he was an outsider to the dominant Jewish culture. There's a lot of kind of scriptural evidence within that you could see that. Most notably, uh, in the book of Colossians, Jesus, I mean, uh, Paul lists out all these people that are helping fellow workers. He lists all the Jews first, right? He says, these are the Jews. And then he says, I'm so thankful for Luke, you know, the physician near near the end. So he's saying, you know, essentially he's not a Jew, right? Um, So it's amazing. Okay, so why does that matter, right? He saw things that no one else saw. Did you know if Luke did not write uh, in the scripture, we would have never had the story of uh, the prodigal son? That comes from the gospel of Luke about this 
reject son that comes back. And the older brother is like, why is he here? Right? And the good Samaritan, that parable is only found in the book of Luke. Well, why is that significant? Samaritans, Jews hated Samaritans. Samaritans were like just mixed mixed race people. They were partly Jew, but they, they didn't stay true to the Jewish faith, you know? So they hated Samaritans. And then you have the story of Jesus telling a story of a good Samaritan showing a better example than even the Jews who just ignored this robber, like uh, this person beat up by robbers, right? Wow. Have you considered that, right? We just take that for granted. Um, Without his perspective, Luke, we would not have gotten the rich perspective of Jesus. Our Jesus was born to poverty, right? And his mission to those in need uh, of the gospel, right? And then without Luke's perspective, we may not have known how the church of Jesus came to minister to outsiders, to non-Jews, to us. I mean, there might be some Jews in here, but most of us are Gentiles, right? So this representation, it made a huge difference in the church, This isn't just shallow token representation I'm talking about. It helped meet a real need. It helped bring unity, and it brought growth. The last verse, verse 7, it says that after all these uh, appointments, it says the word of God continued to increase and that the number of disciples, it multiplied, right? It multiplied, not just added, right? So when people saw that the leadership of the people, right, of the church, it's like, hey, they look like me. Then they started to feel, you know, this church, it could be a place for people maybe like me. Does that make sense? When they see the leadership, it's like, hey, those people look like me? That means, hey, I could, I could, this church could be for people like me, right? And you see the church explode, right? Man, isn't this what we need in 2018, right? When we represent all the community of the church, people who are overlooked are released to their full potential. We gain invaluable perspective, right? And the church grows. Like just treatment, a community that treats their people justly and represents them, right? It leads to growth in the kingdom. Why? Because a just community is a powerful witness to the world. Gosh, where we are in the United States right now, even the political climate, it is so divided, so toxic. People are longing to see can that even exist? A community of different people working together, working out their differences. The world is hungry to see some unity. It's hungry to see a just community that represents, right, all folks, right? People are hungry for that. And church, man, we, we need to step up, right? I'd like to tell you about, in closing, about my friend Gus. Uh, working in Lincoln Heights, I got to know him. Uh, But before I even knew him, he grew up in poverty, and he grew up in abuse, a very abusive and controlling father. Uh, He was angry. Uh, He tells a story of, like, he would put people in the hospital, right? Like, he was so angry. Uh, And his wife uh, just felt like, man, we need to start going to church. And, right, she told Gus that, and he's like, don't bring any of that stuff near me, right? He used some curse words, you know, but, you know, we're in the church, so right? But he's just like, get away from me with that stuff, basically, right? But eventually he came, and the first church service, they opened up the Bible, and he started reading that Bible, 
And he started like, what is happening? He started just getting cut in his heart, right, by the scripture. And, and he just became so hungry. Soon enough, he accepted Jesus. Soon enough, he was baptized. And uh, this, the church that I, that I go to, it used to be about 40, right? It grew to 70 because of him and his wife, right? Because <laughs> he was an outsider that, you know, the church would have overlooked. Like, who is he? He's nobody, he couldn't do anything good for God. Like, no, man. Like, they reached out to those outsiders and say, hey, Jesus could be for you, right? And uh, this guy is so intense. Uh, he's, so the church grew, and he's like, okay, I reached out to all my friends. Like, all right, man, there's so much more men in the community. Where are the men, right? He's like, I want to reach out to the men. So he's praying, God, like, take me to the men of this community. And, uh, you know, God hears their prayers, but not in the way that we expect. Uh, his past life caught up with him. There's some tickets, and he had an outstanding warrant for his arrest. So he's put into prison. And he's like, God, why is he in prison? He's like, why am I in prison? But he says, oh, God, you just answered my prayer. You told me where are the men. And here are the men of the community. And, like, they respected him so much that, like, even the shot callers in the prison, they're like, okay, go to him. Go to Gus. And Gus would pray for them and share scripture with them. It's like, man, this guy is, like, awesome. So I came into the community thinking, you know, I'm going to come help people, give. But, man, I received so much from Gus. Like, man, like, he, man, his intimacy with Jesus, he just talks with Jesus all the time, right? Um, He challenges me so much. And guess what? Now he's an elder of our church, right? And people, they know they could go to him when they need prayer. And he could reach people I couldn't reach, right? That is the church at work. We cannot reach everyone. We need all sorts of different people, right? All right. So I'm going to ask you these questions. Are there any blind spots in your faith and in your church? Do you see the marginalized in your church? Right? Those are neglected. Do we value spiritual and physical needs in the church? Do our leadership structures, do they represent all of the church and all the community? So Jesus tells us that it's not those who simply hear the word, but it's rather those who hear and put into practice God's word Those are the people that are going to build their lives on a solid spiritual foundation, right? So with this in mind, we're going to apply his words, okay? So we're going to do some step out of our comfort zones. That's what this word is about, right? So I want us to think about what is one next step? What is one next step God is challenging you? What is one next step God is challenging you to take in response to this word, all right? I know you may not be used to this, but I want to take a moment of silence right now to quiet ourselves and really hear what God is saying to us, right? Maybe something uh, this morning it spoke to you, it struck you, right? Could that be God and his spirit moving in you, right? So I'm just going to take a, a moment. I'll open us in just like just one minute, right, to just listen. <sighs> Lord God, we, we look to you. Thank you for this word. It's hard, but Father God, you love us. And Father God, we want better. So Father, won't you speak to us right now, each one of us? 
What is one next step that you want me, each of us, to take? You take a moment uh, and just listen. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening.